Welcome to the Bike Talk Podcast with me, your host, Dave Mabel. I've been excited to get to know today's guest for a couple of years now, but you know, COVID. But now we're all vaxxed up and can talk to people outside our circles with relative safety. Anyway, I've been super curious about this guy since he moved to my town, which isn't really where you would expect to run into USAC world champion coaches, at least not every day. Anyway, he moved to town and has hosted some races. I love the races because they're flat and curvy and I can hang for more than half a lap, so I love them. So through my wife, Dee, we volunteered to watch a corner when we weren't racing. And every year I'm like, who's Chris Daggs? And she's like, he coaches the national team or something. And I'm like, really? What's he doing here? I mean, it's not a crazy question. His latest USAC gig was head coach for Team USA's winning pursuit squad. World champs. And there isn't a track within 250 miles of here. So it's not Boulder or San Diego or San Fran or Trexler Town or wherever. So it's not a crazy question. And I'm a curious fellow and now I have a podcast. So what better time than now to get to know my new neighbor and see what he's up to. Turns out some pretty cool stuff. But before I take you to our conversation, I've got to give a shout out to a great little customs cycling clothing company located here in the Midwest, Bike Rags. Why? Well, this week I just ordered my sweet Ragbri team shirt. Yes, I said shirt. I got one of those cool, fully sublimated button-up biker shirts that are perfect for Ragbri which involves as much hanging out in the little towns, farms, and parks along the ride as it does actually riding. So our team made them available and I can't wait to get mine. But not everyone wants the casually tech button shirt, so they also offer racerback jerseys, sleeveless jerseys, short sleeve, long sleeve, bibs, arm warmers, whatever you want. Low to no minimums, fully custom, fully sub sublimated team kits and not just for fun weeks like ragbri they fully outfit hardcore racers in everything from skin suits to winter thermals and they have an incredibly creative graphics department to help you out and the customer service is out of this world full disclosure here when you call the bike rags customer service line Someone with the same last name as me will likely answer and take care of your order. That's Morgan Mabel, and she's as great of a daughter-in-law as she is your customer service rep. But back to bike rags. They do so much more than full custom sublimation. They do tons of screen printing on t-shirts, hoodies, whatever. Plus they do embroidery, they do hats, flannel shirts, You should definitely get some team flannel shirts. My team got them this spring and we love them. I can't recommend bike rags enough. Hunt them down at bikeragsapparel.com or find them on Facebook or Instagram. And be sure to say hey to Morgan when you call. Okay, back to our show. Chris Daggs. He's been racing for like 100 years. I just saw a picture of him on Lance Armstrong's wheel at a crit back in Lance's discovery days. But now he's coaching riders. He's served USA Cycling as a coach on the track and road. 
yes, with world champs to show for it. But he's now working with Roy Nickman and the Lux Cycling Development Team as the director sportif. We talk mostly about his time with Lux because it's actually pretty cool. He's in Europe right now. So without further ado, I would like to introduce you to Chris Daggs. Uh, Chris, good to see you. Good to see you too, Dave. <clears throat> good to uh, good to be here. Pardon my voice, uh, D. <laughs> she took me out and ripped my legs off the other night, <laughs> and uh, um, I've been hoarse ever since. But uh, we had a good ride the other night. It was a beautiful night. No wind, finally. Yeah. For one night, and uh, we went out on a nice, quiet road. But anyway, uh, good to have you here. I'm glad you could join us, and um, I don't know. I'm super excited to hear about Lux yeah. and your program and. Uh, not just the kids, but the whole team and, and objectives and, and everything like that. So first thing I'm going to ask you is uh, elevator speech. <laughs> what do you say when somebody says, uh, what do you do? Yeah, that's always a, a good one. Um, I usually tell them I'm a cycling coach or I run a cycling team. And most of the time get a raised eyebrow like, oh, what's that about? So that's all, that's always a good one. Um it definitely takes a little bit of explaining to a lot of people. They always ask, what kind of bikes? Like, you know, usually sometimes they're like motorcycles or BMX. And it's like, oh, like road bikes, like Tour de France, like Lance Armstrong. And then, you know, I was wondering if Lance Armstrong would be paying yeah. the explanation at yeah. all. He certainly is, is still a household name. And yep. people are, oh, okay, got it. Yeah, got yeah. it, got it. So what's, your, uh, what's your role with Lux? Uh, I am the lead director and kind of the director of operations and uh, sport performance. So I kind of see day-to-day -day operations and the athletic side of the house also. So to, I guess, to kind of explain it um, with bigger organizations, like a high performance organization, like our team, you kind of have multiple tasks. You've got to just make sure that stuff runs day-to-day, -day, like people get paid, uh, vehicles go to the right place, people have plane tickets. And then there's also the sporting side, which is recruiting athletes, um, working with them at races, um, basically anything that makes them go faster. Do you work with them between races to make sure they're ready for races? Yeah, we try and be a pretty comprehensive organization. We're really lucky that we've got some good partners that allow us to do that. Uh, CTS, which is uh, one of our major sponsors, Carmichael Training Systems, uh, they came in this year and they're actually providing coaching for some of the athletes. So we now can provide coaching for athletes if they don't have a personal coach. Um, we can have other resources at our disposable uh, at our disposal from Carmichael. We have other resources at our disposal from Carmichael. And it's been a really good partnership. Yeah, uh, I, I can imagine. I, uh, Dee and I actually uh, raced Chris at Leadville. Oh, okay. I think yeah. he beat us. <laughs> yeah, he's still pretty fit. <laughs> yeah, I think that was one of the years he came home with the big buckle, but uh, we did not. We got a buckle, but not the big one. Uh, so tell me, what is Lux? What's, what's your team? Uh, Lux is one of the top development teams in the world, actually, um, as crazy as that sounds, started out as a small junior team about seven, eight years ago, and 
just progressed over the last few years. Roy Nickman got involved early on, I think the first year, the second year, when his son started racing, and then Roy just kind of poured his soul into it. Um, and the other partners as well were just like, hey, let's make this thing happen. Let's we, Somebody needs to push junior riding forward in the U.S. There have been lots of good junior programs. Um, at Hot Tubes is a great program located out on the East Coast. And I think Roy wanted to have something similar to that on the West Coast. And year over year, it just picked up steam and it, it's kind of taken on a life of its own the last few years, which is great, but it's a lot to manage. For sure. Where did it originate? Who's like... Whose brainchild was it originally? Uh, this was the brainchild of Dave Feldman, who is an employee at Sideshow Collectibles out in Thousand Oaks, California. Sideshow Collectibles is this cool company that makes collectible items from movies that you've seen. Huh. Um, I wondered the same thing when I first got involved, like, what is Sideshow? Um, they're kind of woven into the team's DNA. Uh, the owner, the CEO of Sideshow is a cycling aficionado, loves oh. cycling. It's been great for his life. Greg Anselon is his name. And one of Greg's employees, Dave, he, he had an idea for this development cycling team. And Dave got in, uh, Dave kind of got the ball rolling. Another gentleman named George Chester got involved. And then Roy got involved and it morphed into this junior cycling team and kind of, uh, again, kind of took off from there. Um, so Sideshow makes these cool collectible items. So if you really liked Iron Man and you wanted a life-size statue of Iron Man to put in your house, they make one. Huh, very cool. Um, and... Interestingly enough, through COVID, their business just exploded. Everybody's really? well, everybody's hanging around their house and they're thinking, "Oh, I've got all these home projects I want to work on." And you know, there's some guy who was a production assistant on Star Wars, and he's like, "I'd kind of like to have like some Star Wars figurines in my den." And all of a sudden, he goes to Sideshow and orders up, finds everything yeah, he needs. Yeah, yeah. Huh. But, um, Does the team have cool? Collectible stuff. <laughs> we do, yeah. We think we've got a couple collectible items in our service course at the at the uh, um, where we store all the bikes and stuff. We actually there is a life size Iron Man statue, and we I think it's gonna find its way over to the outside of the the outside door one day. Might be a good role model for yeah, the kids. Yeah, for sure. Uh, so uh, Nickman, gosh, it'd be hard to find somebody better than that. You know, eighty four bronze medalist and. Uh, coach for many, many years yep. on the U.S. team. Mm -hmm. I saw uh, Prime Alliance coach uh, when that was kind of a development yep. team. Yep. Um, and uh, just, I mean, there's a dude with history right there and, yeah. and knowledge and has kind of done everything and been everywhere. So what a great role model. And is it an active relationship he has? Oh, yeah, absolutely. Uh, Roy frequently will... Uh, come to some of the races. He doesn't do as much on the road as he used to. Um, that's kind of where I'm doing a lot now, and a couple of the other guys who've worked with Lux over the years have spent a lot of time on the road. Roy 
now is more in um, like an operational role, kind of liaising with sponsors. Mm. Um, you know, he's like the general manager. He's the guy who makes it work. Mm -hmm. You know, says, hey, this is what we're doing this year. And these are the sponsors I'm talking to. And, you know, here's a here's some ideas on what you want to do with the schedule. And he's been a great mentor to me. Um, and, you know, he's just got, like you said, so many decades of experience doing this. It, it you know, it, the, we wouldn't, we wouldn't function without him, obviously. Um, and he still plays a very, very active role. It's still very much, you know, Roy's baby that he kind of nurtured. And, um, yeah, I think he, he's tried to kind of dial back his day-to-day -day work. Um, he's got a lot of other stuff going on. But at this, you know, we kind of keep pulling him back in. <laughs> mm -hmm. Yeah, I mean, I would. Does he still ride? Um, this, is, this is OG. Yeah. This is OG Dave asking these questions about a dude who I grew up. I mean, I started racing in, I think, 80, fall of 84, I did a cyclocross race on my 1969 Schwinn Tornado <laughs> that, that I put five gears on. And uh, so, uh, you know, Roy comes from my era and uh, I'm, just, I'm like, does, does he still ride? Does he show up and, and ride with the guys? Yeah, he still rides yeah. a, a reasonable amount, a fair amount. You know, I don't think he's going out every day and riding, but you know, he's on the bike, I'd say, once a week, something like that. Uh, he's still in incredible shape, whether he, he won't admit it, but I was at training camp last year. The kids had picked out this really tough ride, and I kind of looked at it, and I said, oh, okay, that looks pretty pretty rough. And Roy was like, oh, I scouted it last week. You know, I think it was like, uh, I did like 18 miles an hour. I was like six hours on the bike. I was like, geez. <laughs> right. <laughs> so he's still... Put him in a kit, he, right? Yeah, yeah. He's still, he still got the... I mean, once you, once you get to that level, like it never really goes away. Yeah. yeah. Oh, that's super fun. And I bet it's great for the kids to have a role model like that. Who yeah. Freaking, you know, has an Olympic uh, medal. It, it's funny. I mean, most of them know at some level that, oh, Roy was a pro and he was really good and, you know, he coached some good guys too. But then when you get into the weeds a little bit and you say, hey, that's an Olympic medal on his wall over there, they're like, whoa, whoa right, wow, right. you know. Um, and then, you know, hey, like, you know, he won some big races and, you know, like he did the tour a few times. Yeah. And so we had he a. Was he was, uh, you know, well, he was one of the American OGs. You yeah. Know? I mean, he was, he was one of the guys in that era that kind of brought the U.S., you know, certainly Jacques Boyer and, yep. um, oh, uh, uh, shoot, what's the name? John, uh, starts with H. Tall, tall dude. Howard, John Howard. John Howard, yes, yep. John Howard. Yeah. And there's one other guy, Greg. Um... <laughs> anyway. Yeah, yeah. Anyway, there are a few guys who had been to Europe a little bit. Yep. But uh, Nick Min was one of the kind of the group that yeah. really began the era of Americans having some respect yeah. in Europe and in the, in the pro peloton, as it were. So yeah, that's super cool. 
Yeah, we might say like the class of 84, all those guys who came out of the 84 Olympics, you know, like that uh, that group, you know, Davis Finney and right. Alexi Grewal, um, Thurlow Rogers, all those guys headed overseas and, you know, after a couple of years took a couple of scalps and that definitely right. raised the level, you know. It was interesting growing up, uh, being a junior rider at that time, I remember, you know, seeing... Um, you know, Le Monde and just, you know, it's, it was interesting. And this, you know, is a good kind of segue back to how far we've come. I remember seeing Le Monde and thinking like, wow, I'm, I don't know if I'm ever going to see guys at this level again. Right. And um, then to kind of see the progression with the U.S. and you have like the Lance generation, which is, you know, we... That could be a whole nother podcast in for itself, sure. but um, you know those guys definitely move the needle for U.S. cycling. And then now to see like the next generation, which I mean are some of the kids coming out of Lux, like a Brandon McNulty and a Quinn Simmons, you know, um, and then you know kids who've come from other programs, like got you know they're older now, but like Ben King, you know, from Hot Tubes and. Um, uh, we've had a couple other great riders come from the hot tubes program as well. It's like the, you know, it's great to see that we're still producing that top Magnus Sheffield from hot tubes. You know, Magnus just won the first cobbled classic for a U.S. rider earlier this year, which is right. really something cool. Yeah. That was amazing. Yeah. Yep. Uh, with a name like uh, Magnus, right? I think you, <laughs> you're destined to win a cobbled yeah. classic. So yeah. good for him. Good yeah. On him. Good on him for sure. Um, so what's your, what's your background? What's your, you know, let's go way back to, uh, we were talking earlier about yeah. buying your first Velo News in 1989 and that was kind of the, yeah. the nibbling on the hook. <laughs> yeah. What, what, what set that hook for you? Wow. Um, I was a young kid, probably, you know, like 13, 14 and, um, just, I liked riding my bike and, I remember my dad had this old yellow Schwinn Continental 10 speed, just a, a beautiful bike. Um, I think it was Philip Brazed in Chicago. Just they don't make them like that anymore, right? It weighed like 50 pounds. It did weigh yeah. 50 pounds. I used to work, I began my work at a Schwinn shop. Okay, yeah. So I built those things. So you know, Continental, yeah, yeah. You know, by today's standards, you know, uh, not an antique. Mm -hmm. um, but my dad kind of got into that. Uh, 80s fitness movement and you know would get up and go for a bike ride around the block in the morning you know ride you know like 45 minutes or something in his gray sweatsuit you know it was great That's awesome um and i started thinking yeah i kind of want to like kind of want to ride my bike too and so when i got older a couple like a year i think it was like 14 or 15 i asked if i could get a 10 speed and we went down to the bike shop Russell Cycle in Washington, Illinois, and got my first 10 speed, a Schwinn Sprint, and started riding that. And I don't know, it just, you know, like I just got the bug and it just gets in you. And I'd ride all around town. I lived in this little town, Washington, Illinois, like 10,000 people. It was right outside Peoria, Illinois, which is like 150,000 people. Um, so there's a lot of bike riders in Peoria and the group ride is over, it takes place over in Washington, starts kind of close to the bike shop. So 
I, I see the group ride every once in a while. I'm like, man, that looks pretty cool. Um, and just, you know, the Olympics are coming up and, you know, like you catch like, uh, the guys in the funny helmets and the, in the, the tight suits, you know, yeah. like on a afternoon on NBC sports and, you know, I was thinking, okay, well that's kind of cool. And I think like every kid that age, like I'm looking for that thing to do that, you know, um, I'm not like a, I'm not a, I'm not one of the high school jocks. I'm not playing football or baseball. I'm kind of this gangly, you know, 14, 15 year old kid, like 5'11", 125 pounds. And I'm like, track coach has yeah, yeah, the track you. coach, track and cross country coach were like, Hey, we need that guy, which is, you know, I, I ended up going that route. And, um, yeah, so I just started riding my bike and I just got the bug and I'm like, okay, this is like, I, I like, I like being outside. I, I think like everybody too, like you love that freedom. Um, like I would ride over to the next town, like nine miles away. And I was like, wow, that's so cool. And think like, okay, this is something I want to get into. And so then the next step is, you know, buy some shorts, get a helmet, you know, buy the shoes and, you know, go out and do my first group ride and just get annihilated. You know, I don't even make it <laughs> out of the guys. parking lot. Yeah, yeah it, was, <laughs> it was like that. And for whatever reason, I was like, yeah, I'm not done with this. Like, I'm going to, you know, you know, keep, you know, hammering away at it, so to speak. And it, it took a couple of years. Um, but, you know, like, 89 started to do some more races. I did my first race in 88. They had like a 20-mile citizens race in Washington called the Russelltonian. And, you know, no licensed riders at all. And so that's just this 20 mile loop. And I want to say I got second in my age group and I was like, you know, 10 minutes behind the guy who won the whole thing. But I was like, okay, like this is cool. Good yep. start. And then the next year, um, did more citizens races, you know, didn't take out a license. Cause remember that was a big deal. Like it was a big it, deal. Yeah. yeah. And I think they were $35 or something yeah. crazy. Like yeah. That. Yeah. Um, so then the, you know, 89, I'm really getting into it, you know, and LeMond wins the tour that year. And, you know, I think everybody just got the bike bug. Yep. Um, and I was like, okay, this is, this bike racing thing is really cool. And just watching it on TV and, you know, like 89, like the year of neon yellows and right. greens right. and reds. And you just see that colorful Peloton rolling down the road in France and you're just like, there's just something, you know, it's already switched on. You're like, I gotta be, I gotta do this. This is something I gotta do. Right. Right. I, I think probably the thing that really sent it over the top was, um, around the same time that the, that Lamond won the tour. Um, I went on a trip with my grandmother over to Europe. And, um, it, it was before the tour, actually. Um, it was before the tour. So I remember I went on this trip with my grandmother. My grandfather was a D-Day veteran and he had passed away a few years earlier. And my grandmother said, Hey, do you want to go on this tour with me? It's, it's the 45th anniversary of D-Day. And, and I had always enjoyed listening to my grandfather, uh, talk and, you know, I, I thought, it was, his experience was really interesting to me. And I was, you know, 
in a past life, I wanted to be a, a pilot in the military. So I was kind of like, I was kind of torn between two worlds at that point in my life. I was like, I could be a bike racer or I could totally go ROTC and become a, a military pilot. Like I hmm. had like two things kind of pulling me um, in two different directions. So I went on this tour with my grandmother. It was a great experience. I spent a lot of time with these vets from World War II who some of them were only like five or six years older than me at the time when they landed on the beach in Normandy. Right. Um, when we went to Luxembourg to visit a couple sites, and this is probably a couple months before the, this is probably a month before the tour to France, we stayed at the same hotel that the tour of Luxembourg was at. Oh, wow. And I was definitely into cycling and I knew some of the teams and all that. I think I had definitely had like a winning magazine. And, and so um, I bumped into a guy in the restaurant and I said, hey, is uh, uh, Etienne de Vild here? And I think he was a Belgian classics guy at the time. And the guy's like, oh, yeah, he's here. He's like, yeah, like they're doing the stage tomorrow. He's like, uh, he's like, oh, what's your name? And Chris and I sat there and talked to him for 20 minutes. He was the marketing representative for the team that de Vild was on. And he was like, hey, do you want to come meet him tomorrow at the start of the race? And I was like, okay. And for sure. I, yeah. And so I asked my grandma and my grandma's like, oh yeah, you should go do that. I know you like the bike racing thing. So I go down and meet him and the marketing guy's there and he's like, hey, he's like, do you want to ride in the team car with, you know, and this is 1989, right? You know, so it's pretty loosey goosey back then, you know. It is loosey goosey, but lit literally the closest we get to bike racing is winning magazine showing up right. six weeks after the Tour de France. Right, you yeah. Know? So to be in there and in that environment and to be able to hop in a team car is just yeah. dream come true. Like mind blown, right. you know, 15 year old kid, like, holy cow, like, okay, like I, I like bike racing before, but now like I'm here, like this is really cool. And, you know, get in the, get a couple pictures with Etienne, get in the team car, you know, um, take some pictures. And I'm just kind of like, you know, it's me and the mechanic in the car. The mechanic doesn't speak any English. He just speaks, you know, Flemish. And, you know, he's like pointing at, you know, he's like, take a picture. And I'm like, yeah. And so, you know, I got the big old camera to take right. a picture. I still have the pictures. I love That's them. That's awesome. Um, but I think that was the thing that, like, for me, like catapulted me over that, the top. And then with Lamond, it was like, yeah, That's called setting the hook. Yes, yeah. They, <laughs> yeah. Set the hook and they had, yeah. you know, a high strength line and reeled you right in yeah. to the, uh, the world of cycling. I can, yeah. I can only imagine. Yeah, 30 years ago, um, you know, now it's uh, um, so much has taken place. Sorry, getting that. That's quite all right. Let me turn this off. Yeah, so much has taken place. So, so different. Like, it's almost like we know the riders personally now. Right, right. You know? Yeah. With, you know, the gram and, the, and yeah. Snapchat, all of that. The whole social media thing. It's like... You, you really can, in your mind, develop an intimate relationship yeah. with somebody who lives 5,000 miles away. Yeah. Yeah, there's still, a, it's still, um, I still feel that childlike joy, that, you know, that tingle that goes up your spine when, you know, you're there um, in the moment. Um, last year, I had an opportunity to... Uh, coach for USA Cycling at the World Championships in 
Belgium. And um, I was the junior women's coach. And so, you know, we're there all week, you know, help, you know, I'm working with the junior women, but we're kind of like all staff is kind of, we work together as a team on deck. Um, and, um, you know, we're reconning the course and you're going up the climbs that, you know, you see in like some of the races and you're like, oh, wow, this is pretty cool. And then, you know, like the, you know, we're eating at the dinner table with, you know, like Brandon McNulty's there and, you know, uh, Lawson Craddock, you know, Leah Thomas, you know, these big names in American cycling now. And so there's this, you know, it's like, Hey, like I work for you guys, you know, I'm, you know, part of the team that makes this thing go, but there's still just this, you know, kid like excitement in me. You know, I think that's one of the things that's helped me survive in the sport so long is like, I'm kind of a super fan inside, you know, and I've been able to channel that energy in the right direction. (laughs) That's awesome. And with the kind of hours and time you put in, you probably need to be a super fan. Yeah. Yeah. In order to not become cynical or yeah. just tired of it and yeah. wanting to move on. So yeah. that's pretty cool. That's very, that's a great, great story. So what led you to Lux? Um, boy, that's, that's a good question. And it's a pretty funny story too. It, it absolutely, I am part of Lux because I moved to Des Moines, Iowa. And I'll tell you that in a second. Um, yeah, that right there is a disconnect. Yeah, yeah. It, that's <laughs> Not that there's not great cycling in Des Moines yeah. and central Iowa, but yeah, I wouldn't say we're the hotbed of professional cycling in <laughs> the United States. Yeah, well, it's funny how things work out, right? I'm a big believer of everything happens for a reason. You know, like there's really no such thing as a coincidence. Like when everything happens, you know, it's supposed to happen for a reason. Like we have these experiences that we have over and over again and it's not random you know it's like it happens for a reason right so um after uh after i got done with school i moved out to california i was in california like 21 22 years my wife and i lived in santa barbara and in san diego and that that was really again like that was like just another moment for me another great time for me in cycling and just you know like racing was really going well for me and just gained a lot of experience in racing to, you know, that I I thought at some point I was going to get into coaching, you know, and like, what does that look like? Right. Like, you know, who, you know, who's making a million dollars, like being a cycling coach. It's like, well, let's just talk about making, you know, like, let's just try and pay the mortgage. Right. (laughs) I was going to say, yeah, let's try and eat this month. Right, right, right. Um, so I kind of got done racing and transitioned into coaching. Um, and, um, you know, kids came along and my wife's career, um, was on a great track. And so when our son came along, we decided that I would stay home with him. And at the same time, like, uh, a friend of mine opened, opened a coaching company and I started working for him. Um, we'll kind of fast forward a few years but um, in 2014, I started coaching a junior team in San Diego, the Swami's uh, cycling team. Um, still active to this day. I don't think they have a juniors program anymore, but they always had like a development program of some kind. Um, Chris Horner came through that program. Um, there were a couple other pros that came through that program. Um, but um, I was running a junior team at the same time Roy was running Lux. And so we got to know each other a little bit then. Um, Fast forward a couple more years and um, 
my wife is kind of at the career is going great and the she's getting ready to move into a big executive position or she's on that track and I, you know both of us are like we're probably here in san diego forever not a bad thing we've got two kids you know uh like living the life um at this point i was taking a little bit of a break from coaching um had just kind of gone back to like a nine to five type job um and um my wife was like uh hey mike uh the people who own my company are going to sell the company. And so it was like, oh, okay, this is a big switch. Um, you know, a couple months into that, it becomes pretty obvious that the career track my wife on was not going to, that that was going away. Wow. Um, and so then it's start, you know, thinking like, okay, well, what's the next, what's the next move? Um, 2018, 2019, she's looking for jobs and kind of, looking around the country and um, early 2019, she says, hey, I got a lead on this job um, in Des Moines. And she's like, what do you think about going back to the Midwest? And we got two kids. Um, cost of living in California is crazy. You know, it was four, five years ago. It's even worse now, you know. For sure. Um, we had owned a house and got out of the housing market. And so we were like, at that point, we were getting ready to back it, get back in. And you know, this, this opportunity kind of presented itself as like, all right, well, what about moving back to the Midwest? And I think both of us were looking for like this change of scenery. It's like, there's a lot of great stuff about California. I love California, but was just looking for maybe like just a little change of pace. And you know, that, that's a little change of pace. Yeah. Yeah. San Diego, Des Moines. No, it's always 72 degrees here. Yeah. Yeah. But, you know, you also think like, um, how many more big adventures am I going to have? You know, uh, um, and, you know, like I had, I had racing and I had coaching and I had kids and I, you know, it's like, you kind of are like, all right, well, you know, what's the next big adventure? And it's like, okay, well, I guess we've got this great history here in San Diego. Like, let's go to Des Moines and like, just restart. What the heck? Um, so my wife took the job offer, um, and it would kind of all came together within a month. And so it was like in a month, I kind of had to say goodbye to everybody in San Diego. Um, we move out to Des Moines and I start, I, I, I starting to get back into coaching a little bit. Um, and we can, we can talk about that in a second cause that's a good story too, but I start to get back into coaching and, um, getting into the community a little bit in Des Moines and I start coaching a young lady named Lily Ensign. Um, and you, I think you might know I her. I know Lily. Yeah. Yep. Yeah. She's um, the one who zips by me in the right. USA cycling kit. Yeah. And I'm like, who is that? Yeah. yeah. I'm Lily. Bye. <laughs> yeah. Like, Lily's, yeah. Lily's great. Uh, she is great. Tremendous energy. Um, so, you know, working with her and can definitely see she's got some potential, you know, and like it's just kind of, you know, helping her move forward. 2020 COVID hits and everything kind of shuts down. And Lily's like, oh, I got to do a couple races, but, you know, gosh, like I really wish there was something to do. And she's like, hey, I'm friends with some of these girls and they're at this camp in Colorado with Lux Cycling. And I was like, I know some guys on Lux Cycling. Let me give him a call. Um, I call up my friend George Chester, who is one of the directors on Lux, works with Roy. End up talking to George. 
for about three hours. Like you, you should have George on a podcast because that guy, that guy. We'd have a three hour podcast. Yeah, you'd have a three hour podcast, yeah. So uh, George um, talks my ear off and says, hey Chris, like you should come back and work for us. And I was like, well, like, what do you, what do you mean? Like work for you guys? He's like, well, we, we're needing some more directors. We're needing some more people to help out. You know, I'll have Roy give you a call like in a week. And I'm like, you know, oh yeah, sure. You know, and I haven't talked to Roy in a while. I'll be like, oh, it'd be great to catch back up. And George was like, you know, boy, you just kind of like a couple of years ago, you just kind of dropped out of the scene. And I was what? like, yeah, you know, like this is why. I moved to Des Moines. Yeah. Um, so yeah, a week later, Roy calls up and is like, hey, Chris, you know, great to talk to you again. Like, so here's what we're looking at. You know, I don't know what's going to happen the rest of 2020, but like, let's definitely talk about 2021. Um, absolutely. And, you know, a couple months go by and Roy says, hey, not much has happened in 2020. So let's reconnect in the, in the fall. And then, you know, it's December and Roy checks in and says, Hey, you know, we're ramping up for 2021 or, you know, what, where are you at? And I was like, yeah, I'd love to help out. And it's, uh, he's like, I was like, great, just keep me posted. And so 2021, it's like, you know, the ball is kind of getting rolling again with, um, racing and, you know, like teams are starting to do more stuff and we're at a point now where we can have a training camp. I think it was like April and Roy's like, okay, we're good to go. Like, here's the plane ticket, you know, send me your sizes for clothing and come out to camp and, you know, and it just off to the races from there. Very um, cool. So, yeah, but it was kind of funny. Like a lot of people ask like, wow, you know, so Royal old connection from California. I was like, yeah, but I said, I probably wouldn't be on Lux if I hadn't moved to Des Moines. So <laughs> working with Lily. Yeah, exactly. Huh. That is funny. That's actually super funny. Well, it's a treat to have you here and uh, you put on, have put on a couple races. And I love those those races because I don't Thanks. get dropped in the first fifteen seconds. <laughs> yeah, I can actually hide in that group for long enough to, you know, see the finish. Yeah, but uh, I, I'm an old guy. Um, so tell me about the the intentional makeup of the team. Yeah, and what I mean by that is, uh, by definition, it's a development team. Yep. Yep. And I know that there's a lot of young riders, U23, U even U19, mm -hmm. juniors, mm -hmm. um, you deal with junior gearing. Yep. Um, but then Redlands, you've got 36-year-old Marissa Boaz. <laughs> yeah. So tell me about how the team works. Yeah. Um, you know, the, the main objective of the team is to develop cycling talent in the U.S. And, you know, we started out... It's definitely junior talent and under 23 talent on the women's side. You know, the initial focus was junior men. Um, and then over time, you know, Roy said, hey, you know, we need to add some, we need to add a women's team. There's definitely a need for a women's team. So they added a junior women's program. And then through the course of running a junior women's program, you just, you start to see that they're just, aren't enough junior women out there and probably to be more effective you need to have some u23 women also and also in the u.s the junior women typically don't have enough riders to have a field of their own except at a handful of races you know right um so a lot of times they're racing with the elite women 
and it kind of makes sense to have a couple elite women on the team just to kind of show them the ropes. You Perfect. Know? So um, in 2021, we had a really good uh, group of junior women. Uh, Kaya Schmidt, uh, Michaela McPherson, Olivia Cummins. Um, we had Cassie Hickey guest ride for us, and then she came on full time for this year. Um, but we just had this really good core group of junior women, and they were all going to age up to be U23. So we made a conscious decision halfway through 2021 to say in 2022, we're going to transition and be a U23 women's team with our core focus being U23 women. Um, Specialize is a major partner with the um, team, and that was something that they had mentioned to us like hey that's a you know that's a huge community that's underserved at the moment in racing you know like you know there's this there's this big jump to go from being an 18 year old junior woman to being a competitive racer at the elite level um you have a handful of women that can transition pretty quickly because they've just got horsepower but you know on the men's side you've got you go juniors, you go U23, and then you've got a couple levels of pro teams, and you kind of work your way up to the world tour. On the women's side, you go junior women, you go pretty much, you can go straight to like a women's pro team. Right. And now you can go straight to a women's world tour team. So um, you're dropped off in the middle of the pond. Yeah, like, exactly. Swim. Yeah, swim to the shore. Yeah. Yep. Um, so we made a conscious decision to focus on U23 women. Um, we have one junior woman, uh, Catherine Sarkeesoff. And, um, she's great. You know, she is, uh, she was very competitive at Redlands. She had a, um, she had a great cycle cross worlds and, and, you know, we kind of made sense for us to have like, you know, we wanted to have a retain like our junior focus, right. You know, so we've got, we're taking care of Catherine. And then on the other end of the spectrum, you know, we've got Marissa and we've got Caitlin Conyers and, you know, just kind of in keeping with the concept of the team, it's like we want to develop riders. And, um, you know, like on the women's side, it makes sense to have a couple older riders there just to, again, like have someone there who the younger riders um, can kind of look up to and ask questions. And even though they're maybe all at similar points in their development, um, it's I think for the women, it works well to have like just some more mature athletes on the squad. Um, just as it, I, I think, you know, it's just a, it's a good mix overall. Um, it, uh, editorial by Dave. I, I think it's great to have somebody like Marissa yeah. who is not 27 anymore. Right. I'm not going to say Marissa, <laughs> although I think I think you did. Um and a mom of four. Right, right. And still racing it yeah. at the highest level. Yeah. And yeah. they can look at her and say, oh, I don't have to give this up when I graduate college. Or yep. I don't have to give this up when I yep. fill in the blank, get married. Or yep. even when I want to have kids, I don't have to quit racing. Exa nope. like, exactly. Yeah. You yeah. can continue. And Marissa is a great example of that. So yeah. I think yeah. it's a great mix. Yeah. And that was one of the reasons why I really liked adding her to the squad and... Um, again, she also, she also has horsepower. She also has horsepower. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Well, you know, it's, 
So last year she came out and did our August race, the um, and she won the August race, and I was like, wow, Marissa's going great, you know. And I had ridden with her, and I knew Marissa had lots of horsepower, and she was getting more serious about riding, and um, and then you know I saw that she was doing all this gravel stuff this year, and you know she's just you know she's taken like I you know I think Austin had said she's oh she's taking the next steps, and you know yep. everybody's talking about Marissa, and I was like, well shoot, I should see if Marissa wants to do like a stage race, you yeah, know, and great move. And, um, cause I figured that was probably more her jam than say like, Hey, let's go do a criterium series. Although she had done a few, but you know, um, so I, it seemed like a, it seemed like a good fit. And like, I really liked where she's the, the life experience she has, I think is it's great for those young ladies to see that. Just like you said, um, that was definitely in the back of my mind because like women's cycling is different than men's cycling. You know, the, um, the athletes on the women's side come from a lot of different areas, you know, um, there, there's different pathways to get to that level in women's racing. There are multiple pathways to get to the elite level in men's cycling, but you know, it's a lot more limited, right? Like the one or two guys who, get to the world tour when they're like 31 or there's like the outliers, right? Like the Jason McCartney's, you know? Right. Yeah. There aren't a lot of ex ski jumpers <laughs> who make it to the front. Of exactly. The tour de France. Exactly. Um, so, you know, like but it can happen. It can, it can ha happen. It can happen. Yeah. 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 You see that more, it's more common on the women's side. Right. And, and right. They come from soccer or yes. running or yep. ski racing or, yeah. Being a mom, yeah. you know, like Marissa, she ran some, some, uh, half marathons and a marathon and then yeah. her husband raced and yeah. it's like, and my wife too, she was a runner and, uh, and now she rips my legs off, <laughs> yeah. which is great. Yeah. So yeah, yeah, there are, you're right. There are a lot of different roads and I think it's, it's great for, I think it's great for you focus on the men's side, the juniors and for them to see some of the older, yep. uh, we all need good role models. Yeah, yeah, um, for sure. And that's a, like a big, compart, uh, big component of the program also, um, is that, you know, we're not just trying to produce good bike racers. Like, we want to make sure we produce good human beings also. And Roy and I are, like, really in alignment on that. Like, at the end of the day, like, we're trying to help somebody achieve, like, this really high level in sport. But we can't really do that without addressing, you know, just like the other side that goes with it. Like, like, hey, you can like you can get to the top in your sport, but like, man, like you're not going to be there forever. And so, like, let's be a good human being also. Right. <laughs> so right. that when you're you know, when you're done, like when you retire at like 35 or 40, you know, like you can be employed somewhere. You've got some skills in life, you know. <laughs> right. Right. That's awesome. Um Somebody makes it through your program, like what's, where do they head from Lux? What's, what's your ideal world? Yeah, our ideal pathway is for the riders to go to like a U23 development program um, or to go to like a, um, like a Devo team for like a world tour program or just, you know, like a, a smaller pro team that, you know, is doing a mix of like some big races and some little races so that there's not a lot of pressure on the riders. Um, 
you know, over the years we've had riders go lots of different places. Um, last year, two of our ladies, Kaya Schmidt and Michaela McPherson, went from our team straight to Human Powered Health Women's World Tour Squad. And that was a, um, you know, that was a, a good move for them. That's a, um, it's a big jump, but they have a lot of pieces in place with that program to kind of help them make that transition. And they're really supportive of them as well. I mean, it's, it's definitely been um, a tough year for them. I think Michaela did women's Paris-Roubaix and, and Kaya has been doing a lot of big races. Um, but that was a, you know, the women's world tour programs now are like just a, a great opportunity for, um, on the women's side of the sport. I mean, the, like the, the pay is solid. Um, you know, they're having to offer similar benefits to what they do on the men's side. And so it becomes like a very viable career for these athletes. And so that's, we're excited to see them have those opportunities. On the men's side, we had a couple riders go straight to world tour Devo programs. Um, we had a Colby Simmons, who's Quinn's younger brother. He went to the Yumbo Visma development program. They have a small continental team and they kind of, they'll race like a um, kind of the lower level UCI races and then they feed directly into the world tour squad. And then we had um, Cole Kessler go to the Israel Startup Nation development squad. Kind of the same thing, like a small, like a Devo pro team and they're, they're kind of doing like the lower level UCI races. Um, so that's really, um, it's, that's been good for those guys and that's kind of like the ideal pathway um, in 2020, we had Luke Lamperti go to Trinity Racing. Um, other alumni out there, Jared Scott won the last stage of Redlands for Avolo. Um, Avolo is another great development program. Uh, Mike Creed runs a great program. I mean, you know, Creed has the experience of, you know, um, being a super strong U23 and then, you know, all kinds of experiences um, at different levels in the in the pro peloton. He was a prime alliance guy, wasn't yep. he? Yep. Yeah, yeah. 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 He and Roy have known each other for a while. Yeah. Um, and you know, um, I like Roy. Creed's got a lot of these experiences they brings to the table, and he's like, okay, like this is how this is what I want for you guys. So. Um, we've had a couple riders go to Avolo over the years, and it's definitely a program that we want to send riders to. I think. Yeah, yeah, I um, can imagine that for yeah. sure. Yeah, great step. Leo Gullickson from our program last year is, uh, I think, is riding, going to do some races with them this year too. So, so you might see some of these guys, and I'm transitioning. This is my transition um, in Europe when you head to Europe for uh -huh. some of these. Uh, yeah, as you said, kind of level two UCI races. Uh -huh. You might see some of the guys who you've sent over to yeah. Israel Startup Nation or Jumbo Visma. Um, tell me about your schedule this summer because it looks very exciting. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Um, you know, uh, I think your dad probably told you, hey, careful what you wish for, Dave. And so, um, yeah, <laughs> careful what you wish for when you want to become like a team director. Yeah, how uh, old are your kids? Uh, yeah, luckily they're ten and twelve, so we're, you know, they're they're well and growing. Um, they're getting a little more self sufficient. They're a little more yeah. self sufficient, yeah. yeah. So dad can be gone. Yeah, um, 
Yeah, on Thursday, May 4th, I head out to Europe. I'm going to be in Europe a little over a month. Um, we've got four races over there that we're going to do um, with our junior men. Um, then I'll be back for probably like a week. And then I have pro nationals, which is where the women go. And then I have junior nationals. And then I've got about like another week or so. And then I'm back to Europe, probably like middle of July through the early part of September. And what kind of races will you do? What are you guys signed up for? Uh, we try and get to a lot of stage races over there since we have less and less stage races in the U.S. now. And it's also the, just the most bang for your buck. Um, uh, Five days of hard riding. Exactly, yeah. I mean, that's where we really find out, like, how the kids are going to do and like what we need to do to help them get to the next level. I mean, that's a, uh, that's a very raw experience to do a five day stage race. Like even if you're in excellent shape, as Marissa will say, you know, it's like you get done and you're like, wow, I am like, you know, I am wrecked. <laughs> right. Right. Um, uh, we have Ragbri here in Iowa right. <laughs> and day five, you're wrecked. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> Maybe yeah. a different reason. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. And all the same, you're, it's really hard on the body. It so, is. Yeah. It is. Yep. Yeah. For sure. Um, so yeah. So uh, May 8th, we have our first race of the trip. We're doing um, a one day race in Luxembourg called the Grand Prix Bob Youngles. That's like a 80 mile road race. Um, kind of lumpy. There's not a whole lot of flat parts of Luxembourg. Um, the, the, the really awesome thing about junior racing is you're in Europe is that it, it's the equivalent of little league baseball, you know, football over here, you know, like take a high school sport over here, like high school football in Iowa. That's junior bike racing mm, in mm-hmm. Belgium. Um, 170 kids will be on the start line. Oh, wow. Um, you know, like the, the streets will be full of parents grandparents, aunts and uncles, boyfriends, girlfriends, you know, cousins who come out there to watch, you know, uh, you know, Stefan DeWolf do, you know, like the regional race in Flanders. I mean, it's like a big thing. Hmm. Um, so yeah, we'll do GP Bobby Ungles. There'll be 170 kids on the start line. Um, that I would guess that alone could be culture shock for a kid coming from a yeah. 17 rider field here in the States. Yeah, yeah, it is. It is. And, and that's one of the reasons why we try and make as many trips over there as we can, or we try and go hit some of those races we know are going to be um, difficult, like a little bit of culture shock. Because you just don't get that here in the U.S. To get something similar in the U.S., like, we have to race the kids in, like, a good one, two stage race. Like, we have to go to a Joe Martin. Right. Like, every race, every junior, good junior race in Belgium is going to have a caravan. And most of the kids here, like, had never had a caravan in a race until they did Redlands. They're like, what do you mean go get a water bottle? Yeah. Where do I get it? <laughs> yeah, exactly. Back there in the go team back car. To the car. Like, <laughs> what car? <laughs> There's a car back there? Yeah. Sweet. Yeah. And so that's, like, a whole element of racing that, like, the, the kids just don't get exposure to. Even, like, good Cat 1 riders, good women racers, you only do a handful of races like that, and that's 
every race at a certain level over in Europe. Like they don't even think twice about it. They're like, oh, like we have the, you know, national championships in Luxembourg, you know, in July. And oh, of course we'll have like 20 caravan cars, you know, following behind for all the teams in the race, you know, yeah. like it's just second nature. And so we have to do that stuff to get them ready to go to the next level. To, to not freak out when yeah. they do end up. Yeah making it to the Yumbo Visma development squad. Yeah. And then that's their life. They've got a little taste of Europe. Yeah. And it's not uh, absolute culture shock. Yeah. So um, you've been around for a couple of years on the road scene, and I feel like Lux is uh, heavy on the road side. Um, understatement, right? Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Um, how would you grade the road scene in the u.s today well yeah that's a a b c d or f a b c d or f um boy that's a good question i would say you know if i've got to assign a letter grade to it right now i'd probably say it's a c and i don't think that's because of lack of effort i think it's just because um it's a nature of, it's the confluence of a whole lot of things kind of hitting at the same time. Um, you know, obviously COVID over the last... For know, sure, COVID notwithstanding, yeah, for sure, yeah, for sure. Yeah, um, it's, it's really funny though. So I would say that the road racing scene, like the road racing scene and probably the racing scene in general has taken a big hit the last couple of years. But cycling, cycling is probably like the most popular that I can ever remember, and probably you too, like yep. now I, you know, Bike World has, you know, racks full of bikes when they have them and then they right. sell out, you right. know? Yeah. A thousand years ago, if I saw a car with a rack on the roof, I knew that person. Right, yeah. And now it's like, oh, that yeah. is just everyday life. Yeah. Like everybody has a bike, everybody has a rack. I, I, I'm, I wonder if that is a bit to do with where we live with 900 miles of yeah. great asphalt trails, yeah. endless gravel roads. Yeah. Um, we've got a really good scene here in central Iowa. And uh -huh. I hate to keep touting central Iowa. This is, no. a, national, this is an international sensation with <laughs> listeners all over the world. Um, but, uh, but we do have a good scene here. So sometimes I feel like we might be a little bit slighted. Yeah. But it still is... Um, I mean, there's just a million bikes out there. Yeah. And, uh, you, you know, I mean, look at, look at Unbound, look at, yep. uh, um, oh, I can't, the one in Stillwater that, uh, uh, you know, the big yep. gravel races, there's yeah. thousands of people who, yeah. who do these. And, and, that's, and, and that's great. And that's moving the sport forward, you know, maybe in a different direction than, you know, like our traditional upbringing but still kind of moving forward to, you know, like the question I have in my mind is when am I going to get that first kid from gravel, mm. you know, on Lux? Because it's mm. going to happen, you know, and it's probably going to happen like in a year or two, you know, just there's going to be this kid who never raced on the road. And he's like, I kind of want to try this road racing thing. Like I've just been doing gravel, you know, and I'm sooner or later, like we're going to have to have, um, more of a presence in the gravel stuff because there's going to be junior stuff to do in gravel. And I think there already is and kids are asking about it. And so it's definitely, you know, got 
the thoughts percolating in my mind, like, yeah. okay, like we're going to have to go, we're going to have to go there, which is great. I mean, it's great. Cause I think the thing about gravel, you know, is that it's, um, easy access. It's super easy access. Yeah. And it is also, I probably shouldn't say, cause I'll bias, um, um, this is editorial by Dave. Okay. Editorial by Dave. <laughs> it's, um, it doesn't matter where you finish in a road race when yeah. you're dropped, your yeah. day is over. Yeah. You know, it doesn't matter that you came in 22nd yeah. if you're 12 minutes behind Yeah, the top 21 people. Like, your, your day's just over when you're dropped. And, and gravel, who cares? Like, you're just out there riding. You're yeah. sometimes alone, sometimes not alone. And, yeah. and that's, you know, that's the nature of the beast. I, um, you know, I think th you, you've just had all this stuff kind of come together to, like, kind of knock down the racing scene in the U.S. And so we, we've had stuff like gravel, which I think is really helping grow areas of the sport and help keep it, you know, keep it alive. And I think we're definitely going to see a rebound in road racing. It's just going to take a little bit of time and we just need to get some momentum back on that point. Um, that, that on the side, um, I'm dying to ask this question. You gave it a C. What does it take to get a better letter grade? <laughs> yeah. Um, you know, I, so I, you know, I, I'd say I'd give it a C, and again, not because of lack of effort. It's just there's just been a lot of stuff over the past few years which has really, like, knocked the sport down. I think a, a really big part of that is um, just the ability to put on events has been impacted just by the the sheer cost, you know. And it's um, and it's you know how it, it's police protection, it's permits for roads, it's working with municipalities. Um, I think that's probably one of the biggest things that, you know, like you've had people who've had relationships with people in city government or local government that's allowed them to put on events and, you know, uh, people leave city government or people stop promoting a race and it becomes that much harder to put on an event. Um, I think after bike racing came back, you know, when after things were on pause with COVID and racing started to come back, you know, in end of 2020 and 2021, bike races were full of people, you know? Um, and, you know, Tulsa opens up registration and like most, a bunch of their categories sell out on the same day. That's awesome. Yeah. So um, it's not that people don't want to race their bikes. It's just that like, we don't have as many events as we used to have. Um, and so when you don't have events, like, you know, like if, if you're not going to have racers, you know, and if you don't have ra racers, you're not going to have events. And so it's kind of this vicious cycle that happens. And, yeah. um, you know, a lot of people have different comments about what USA Cycling's role in this is. And, you know, my, um, having worked for USA Cycling, um, and seeing, you know, what goes on, you know, inside there, um, it's a lot of people who are very passionate about the sport. They're a lot, very passionate about making sure that there's events for people to go do. They want to make sure that they have a, a good event for people to go do that, you know, like the athletic department, you know, wants to have like a, a, a flourishing development program, um, so it's not for lack of passion. Um, it's 
at this point in time, it's just, it's a very resource limited organization. And again, like it's a little bit of this chicken and egg vicious cycle, you know, like events go away, racers go away. That was income. And that was income for USA Cycling. And so when USA Cycling income goes down, it's harder for them to, you know, put on development programs. It's harder for them to um, devote more money to helping um, local racing organizations put on races. And so it's this, you know, I think the way we break this vicious cycle and the way we increase that letter grade is you just get more people on bikes. You get more people into events, whether it's a gravel race, a mountain bike race, or a local crit. And, you know, a couple more people like my generation need to take the plunge and put on events, you know, whether it's, um, a, like a bike race over in Waterworks Park or, um, you know, like a, a gravel race, like, you know, that, you know, does a big loop and it, Hey, it doesn't matter if you get first place or 90th place, you know, it's just do more events and right. get people excited about it. What do you feel about the, or how do you feel about the, I'm going to call it for lack of thinking about it beforehand, the superstar effect, um, and I'm going to say the Lance Armstrong the effect. The Lance Armstrong effect, okay. Well. Because it's certainly having a... I, I remember my mom had cancer mm-hmm. in um, 99. She was diagnosed in 99. And I remember sitting in a waiting room in a hospital as she was going through kind of the diagnosis period. Yeah. And I flip open a freaking Time magazine. Yeah. And there's a picture of this dude who had cancer, was yep. near death, Yep. And he's going to race in the Tour de France. Yeah. And he became a hero Yep. because of that. Mm-hmm. And I know editorial notwithstanding, he, <laughs> yeah. he might have been mean to some people or yep. whatever. Yeah. Um, but he definitely had a superstar effect. And, I mean, everybody wanted to trek bike. Everybody yep. wanted to race bikes. Yep. Everybody wanted to be a part of it yep. and do the Tour de France and be in the Tour de France. And when, like... Uh, February of 2013, like that world crashed. Yeah. And I feel like we haven't recovered. And I keep looking for, is it Sepkus? Is it, do do we need a superstar? We absolutely do. Um, I mean, that, that doesn't hurt at all. I mean, so look at, look at the sport of cycling right now. Like we had Sagan as kind of like, you know, that, international superstar in like, you know, you know, he starts out 2010, 2011, 2012. We're like, well, this Sagan guy is pretty good. And then, you know, 2014, 15, 16, it's just like, boom, like, you know, this guy is fantastic. And he's got personality and like, and that the sport needs that right at an international level. Now you have, wow, you have Vanderpool, um, you know, and uh, Pogaccia too, as well. And, you know, like Pogaccia doesn't have like this, you know, he's not this, uh, he's a he's a bubbly, friendly guy, but he's not, you know, like, you know, he's not- Effervescent, a, like Wout? Yeah. That was a joke. <laughs> yeah, yeah. And even Wout too, but they're just, you know, it's like um, there is this superstar quality to their performances and it just keeps coming, you know? That's- absolutely true in yours and my world but yeah. we could go to the grocery store and name all of those names yeah and, and you no, would have deer in the headlight look y- from everybody yeah but you say greg lamond yeah. or lance armstrong yeah like, oh greg lamond huh? yeah even lamond i mean lamond was you know kind of the beginning in 86 yeah when he won his first tour but he was ha- he was you could go to the mall yep say his name 
Yeah. Why do you shave your legs? Yeah. Oh, because Greg Lamont. Greg Lamont. Yeah. Legs. Oh, okay. Yeah. That remember makes the sense. remember the Taco Bell commercial? Yeah, he was Taco Bell commercial. <laughs> that That's was right. awesome. God, I'd forgotten about that. Um, yeah, I you we you definitely need a superstar in, like in your nation, right? And um, we got a there's a great crop of guys and gals right now that are definitely like raising awareness in the sport, and you know, and and at the first level, what that does is that energizes like the riders, right? And that's what we need, really need right now is. You know, you need like a Nielsen Paulus winning San Sebastian. You know, you need Brandon McNulty winning some races. You need Sepp winning a stage. You know, I mean, now Sepp has two grand tour stages to his name. Sepp is fun to watch. Too. Yeah. Like, he's, yeah. A, he's, he's yeah. a national hero of mine, for sure. Yeah. And so what that does is that like energizes the kids, right? That gets, you know, that gets, um, you know, like... Uh, um, Jade Road, one of our kids, like to be like, oh, I want to go out and you know, I want to rip up this climb. It, you know, it, it gets, it gets like Vigo Moore, like one of my kids, like fired up. You know, like watching him. You know, like it, the, you know, like Aubrey Drummond on our ladies team is a huge Wout fan. You know, and they're like, you know, oh, did you see the stage today? Like, oh, you just crushed it. You know, so, like, but having those, you know, having that, that super athlete, that star in your own country in, you know, who wears your national Jersey at worlds like that gets, you know, that gets the base fired up, right? Like, you know, like you got to stoke the base a little bit. Yep. And so the next thing we need is, you know, like somebody to like transcend that and like, you know, win a worlds, win a tour, you know, and then, you know, try and aim for that superstar quality. I mean, it's like, you know, is that ever on anybody's career path? Like be a superstar? Probably not. It just kind of happens, but when it happens, it sure won't hurt, you know. Yeah, it sure is awesome for everybody. Yeah. Involved. Yeah. Uh, so who's the uh, who's that coming from Lux? Oh wow, that's a good question. <laughs> it's probably not fair. <laughs> yeah, I, I don't, just name every. Yeah, name each I, should, I should just name all of them. Um, no, you know, I'll just go through the guys on the team and the gals because we have a great group. Um, uh, we have Vigo Moore. Vigo's a, a a neat guy. He lives in Germany right now. His parents, um, his dad took a job over there, and so he his family moved over there, and so he lives in Germany. And we actually had talked about having him on the team before he moved over there, and then all of a sudden it's like, oh well, okay. And um, through COVID, like he got on his trainer and crushed it on Zwift, and we're like, okay, well this was good. Um, We've got another young guy, um, Alex Gustin from San Diego, and Alex is kind of like our time trial master. Hmm. Um, he just set the record for this 20K time trial in San Diego, California. It's called Fiesta Island. They do a 20K. His time was 2330. <laughs> 2330 for a 20K. Yeah, see, so you, you, that's, that's cooking. That's cooking. 30 miles an hour. Yeah. That's close to 30 miles an hour, if not. Yeah. Wow. Yeah, that's that's how old is he? He is he's race age eighteen. I think he turns eighteen in a couple weeks. Um, yeah, he's a he's a um, he's a excellent time trialist. He's even he's more than a time trialist. Like he's got a trials bike and he bounces around. Oh, that wow. he's great at crits. He's good at road races. Yeah, he's a good multi-dimensional uh, rider um, and you know just a good all-around kid. Um, we have a. A gentleman from Vail, Colorado, Mac Dorf. 
Mac um, is kind of like a great all-arounder. I see a lot of good things coming for him. He's got a, a handy sprint. He's a real opportunist. You know, he's that guy who makes the break, and you're like, oh, wow, like he's in the break again. And then, you know, like he's he's good at closing the deal at the end. He, he, that's a good chess player. Yeah, yeah, he's a great chess player. Yeah, yeah, he's that guy who can think like a couple moves ahead, mm-hmm. you know, probably like seven and be like, this is where I need to be. Um, he's a lot of fun to work with. Um, he's a, um, a ski racer. Oh. Um, yeah, his parents, um, big time skiers. And so, you know, then like, he's like, oh, I should do the bike for like some cross training. And then it's like, oh, I'm, I'm pretty oh. good bike racer too. Right. Yeah. Um, we have, um, another really good young guy, Jesse Maris. Jesse's race age 18. He got second at the Oak Glen stage of, um, Redlands. And I think he's got some big things to come. He's a good climber stage racer. He's that little 20 or 125 pound wiry guy who goes uphill like a demon. Um, yeah, we've got, um, we've got a, a good group of 17 year olds. Um, Luke Fetzer, who's a super fast sprinter. He's already at age 16, won a, a couple one, two races. Um, CJ Burford is another really good sprinter, um, who's 17 and, you know, the 17 year olds, it's like, um, they're definitely guys who we, they're a little, a little bit more of a project, but in a good way, they have a little bit more development to go. Um, well, they're young. Yeah. So, yeah. 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 Um, um, I'm, I always forget guys. And so, well, uh, let's go, um, give me four, four women who yeah. are, uh, yeah. Um, rock. Um, Olivia Cummins is one of our top riders. Um, she was a great junior last year, um, medaled at every event at junior nationals. She did won the time trial at junior nationals was eighth in the world in, in junior TT. And then, um, she, um, she is just one of the hardest workers out there and, um, super smart. She's probably, she's one of the smartest bike racers in the U S she just won the points Jersey at Redlands. And I don't even think she's turned 19 yet. Um, but she, um, we talked about it going into Redlands said, Hey, this might be a good goal. And she's like, yeah, I was thinking the same thing. And we had picked out all the sprints and this is how we're going to do it. And in the point sprints, she didn't get lower than second in any point sprint that she did, which is amazing. Um, yeah, so she's a tremendous athlete and I see a lot of good things for her. Um, um, we've got, um, Cassie Hickey, who was kind of a guest writer for us last year. And then she, um, uh, came through the 2024 program, um, run by Nicola Cranmer and, um, Cassie this year has just taken like a, a huge step up. She's podiumed at a couple races. She had, um, she had a couple top fives at Redlands. Um, just some really excellent results. Um, she went to cyclocross worlds earlier this year as well. Um, so she's another multi-discipline rider and I just see a lot of good things for her on the horizon. Um, our GC rider this year is Caitlin Conyers. Caitlin is 32 and she's from Bermuda and she's kind of an example of a rider like Marissa who we saw an opportunity um, to provide a development. It's a development opportunity for her. Um, 
she had started to do a few more stage races in the US last year and she was racing at a really good level and she guest rode for us at Joe Martin and um, did really well overall. It was a really tough Joe Martin. And at the end, I, I kind of thought to myself like, hey, we should have her on full time. Um, and Roy was like, yeah, absolutely. Like, you know, she's, she's got, she's, she's got the, um, she's got the right qualities that we're looking for. And like, Hey, like women's cycling again is a different animal than men's cycling. And so let's, let's give her this opportunity and see what she can do with it. And she's been great this year. She was second at Valley of the Sun overall, third at Laverne. And she was having a, a fantastic Redlands and unfortunately crashed out, uh, on the second to last day in the criterium. Um, and so she's recovering and she's going to be back at it at Joe Martin, but, um, you know, she's, um, she's a super rider and I think you know, were going to see some big things from her. Hmm. She was a finalist in the Zwift Academy. Oh, um, wow. so yeah. Um, so she's right there and hopefully we'll see her make the leap yeah. in the next year. So very cool. Yeah. <clears throat> well, uh, we've been talking a, a couple of minutes here. Yeah, <laughs> I know. I could I could talk all day about this. I'm sure you yeah. figured that. No, out. it's been super fun. I've been very anxious to catch up and yeah. and uh, and hear your story. Yeah, you know, it's uh, I, I remember the first uh, waterworks you put on. Yeah, I think that was 20. Did you put them on in 2020? I put one on in 2020, August of 2020. Yep. Didn't you? Yep. Yeah. Um, and uh, Dee's like, I, I think I think it, like has something to do with some pro coaching or team or something and I'm like what yeah um and uh you know and then I start a little podcast and I'm like I gotta hear this dude's story and the story of Lux and yeah and uh, what you guys are hoping to accomplish so I I hope you guys are super successful yeah thank you I uh, I'm an old roadie um roadie snob I call myself <laughs> and uh you know my on my bike I have a and I I still ride with tubes. Um, <laughs> I've got a, a tube and a blowy and one tire lever, and that's all that I'll ever carry yeah, on my bike. Like yeah. no 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 handlebar bags, no frame bags. So I'm I'm kind of a roadie snob. So I'd I'd love to see kind of resurgence. I love seeing um, Sep in uh, in the tour, and it's like man, there's hope for U.S. cycling again yeah. on the road. Yeah, I feel like we're killing it on uh, on gravel and even mountain bike like. Yeah, mountain biking has been wearing really some good. Uh, world champion stripes yeah. in uh, in the World Cup scene, but um, yeah, I'd love to kind of get it back on the road. So yeah, yeah. Best of luck to all of you. Thank you, thank you very much. And give Roy my best. Okay, I will. I got to take a couple pictures from these winning magazines to send to him. He'll love that <laughs> for sure. For sure. Have him sign one. Yeah. So next time he's in Des Moines, we'll. Get together and we'll have him sign one. <laughs> Absolutely. All right. Thanks a lot, Chris. Yep. Thanks, uh, Chris Daggs, the Lux Cycling Team. Gosh, that was fun. I sure enjoyed that, and I hope you did too. Chris stayed for another two hours after I turned off the recorder. I feel like we've been old friends who just met. So definitely follow the Lux Cycling Team on Facebook, Instagram, or check out their website at luxcycling.com. Well, that wraps up episode number 16. And just wait till next week when I talk to the Katie Effen Compton about her life today, as well as her experience with the whole end of her career thing. 
This should be very interesting. As she said in a conversation recently, I have a different perspective now. Yes, I'm sure she does, and I can't wait to talk about it. In the meantime, I'd like to ask you to give this show a review and rate on your favorite platform. If you'd like to support the show, you can look for Bike Talk with Dave at buymeacoffee.com. I really appreciate your support. I'll put a link in the notes. Bike Talk by Dave is a production of Summit Media. Give us a follow on Instagram at Summit Media Films or myself at dmabel122. Thanks tons for listening. I really appreciate it, and I hope you have a great week. Thank you.